So I want to tell you, I enjoy humor. If you don't know me well enough to get that yet, I like to laugh and I want to just share with you um, laughter. I, I want that to be a part of who we are. I, I like that. For me, one of my favorite ways um, to, to experience humor is through dry humor. I enjoy dry humor. I think, you know, the kind of humor that if you're not careful, you'd miss it. I like that. For some reason, I, I was thinking this week, why do I like dry humor so much? And I was thinking it's probably because it sneaks up on you like a ninja. And I like ninjas. And so I thought, like, you know, I dressed up as a ninja for Halloween when I was a kid. My first roller coaster I ever rode was called the Ninja. I watched Karate Kid. Like, I just liked that idea. And I would, I would sneak around the trees in my yard and pretend like I was a ninja when I was young. And I know I'm not the only one, right? They have this show on TV now called American Ninja Warrior. And it's a whole bunch of guys who, when they were little like me, thought they were a ninja, got up to be in their 30s, and they climb around like a monkey, and the TV records them about this. I know I'm not the only one who had ninja dreams, okay? So I like that idea of something that, wow, you didn't expect that, and boom, there it is. And that's the type of humor that I appreciate. Of course, I like it when we have that hearty belly laugh. You know, and you get the, the laughter like even ahead of time so you know you're supposed to laugh. And like even though you knew you were supposed to laugh, you're still laughing. It's funny. Like, you know, they do this with, um, with sitcoms where they roll the laugh track type thing. So you know you're supposed to laugh. I like that too. I just think I really like the other humor as well. In fact, I don't know if you've done this, but if you ever watched a sitcom without the laugh track, like where somebody's edited it out and then you watch the same thing back. It's, I did this recently. It's really weird. Something that was once funny without the laugh track is creepy. It's really weird how that happens. It's just a strange phenomenon. And I don't want you to feel weird today. Okay, so I'm going to tell some jokes. And if you don't laugh, you're going to feel weird and I'm going to feel small. So I'm going to help you out, okay? I'm going to help you out. We've created our own laugh track. Okay? <laughs> we, we have the ability to learn in here together, okay? So this is what happens. It says laugh, you laugh. This is how that works, okay? And if you, like, you'll have a better time, I'll feel better about myself, okay? So that's what's going to happen. <laughs> so good. Wes, like, can you figure out how to, like, attach this to, like, a belt pack? So like when I'm walking around and I'm telling my jokes, people will laugh because there's nothing worse than standing up here and you tell a joke that you thought was funny and no one else laughs and you think, I'm not very funny. Like, I don't know if that's the story of your childhood where you told <laughs> jokes and you thought they're funny and all your friends were like, not funny, dude. Uh, like you thought you were a comedian. You're not. When you laugh, I feel better about myself, so we're going to laugh together, okay? That's what we do. In this room, we're going to laugh together because we'll all feel better. And it'll help. It's like a self-esteem booster for me, too. So we're going to do that. But you know the type of joke that nobody likes? The type of joke that nobody really seems to enjoy is if you've heard of these jokes where you tell a really long story and the joke, like, is that you made someone listen to your story. Do you know of this joke? Like, I don't know if you've heard about that type of joke. There's one, it's about the broken pencil. Never mind, that's pointless. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to tell you a pointless story. 
No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you a pointless story. Listen, the reason that one annoys us so much, I think, is because we value stories so much. We love to share stories that matter. So when somebody takes the opportunity for a joke and then tries to use a story, we're like, no, 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 don't do that. At least that's how I feel. I don't like when a story is used that way. I like when a story is compelling and it, like, it matters, it has meaning. Because our story is, is something that is a part of who we are. It's how we share history. It's how we pass information on. In fact, you would say quite easily the oldest form of art that we know is storytelling. Because as far back as anyone could ever remember, stories have been shared and passed on. It is a part of who we are from as far as anyone can remember. We pass on information. We pass on history. We pass on virtue. We pass on experiences. We pass on identity of the community. Stories cross cultural barriers and age barriers. Neurologists know as they study our brain that as you tell story, it it would activate a positive emotive state in our minds. Listen, neurology is not my thing. But I read a few articles this week that just confirmed a hunch that I had that God wires us to be people who are who are. Uh, wired for story. God's designed us to work in such a way that story is a part of who we are. And so I know this is true. You probably do as well. When I preach, oftentimes I'll have put so much thought into like teaching something important and people will always come up and say, that story you told, that was really good. Because we remember stories. Do you know that our brains sometimes will create a narrative that didn't even exist to help us remember information that we need to know. It's amazing how much we're wired for story. So as we talk today about telling the story of God's work in our lives and in our community, we know and believe this is valuable and important. And we don't want to be people who tell a story and have it fall flat. Nobody likes that for a joke, and nobody likes that for a story. We don't want to tell a story and it not work. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, like where you've told a story and people became quickly disinterested in your story. Like uh, you were trying to explain to somebody something that you thought was wonderful. Um, if, that, if you've ever had that experience, I don't want you to have that experience anymore. And so I'm going to give you a tip that's going to change your life, okay? And this is something I give to you freely. Um, you're welcome to just use this. It really will impact you. Will, you could be a terrible storyteller. I'm going to give you a phrase, and it's going to change your ability to tell stories. Okay, this was given to me. I didn't make this up. Like, this was passed on to me. I want to entrust you with that phrase today because I really like you. You're important people. So here's the phrase that is going to change and transform the way you tell stories. And then I found $5. You don't believe me yet. Let me explain what I mean. If you've ever told a story and it's starting to not work, you're talking about something, you're telling a story, and it's starting to go south. You notice people, their eyes are wandering, they're not looking at you anymore. Maybe they even start to like edge away from where you are because they're like, please let me away from here. And you realize you're losing the room. This phrase is a hook that's going to get you back. But I told you something. I, this was given to me a long time ago, and I recognize I got a little gray in my beard now. So I recognize that things have changed. Like $5 is not that compelling. We're changing it to 20 Okay? So here's how this works. 
So, for example, maybe you're telling a story about golf, okay? And I just want to tell you, just parenthetically, if you're telling a story about golf, that's your first mistake. Nobody's interested in golf. It's a boring story. But let's say you are. You're weird. You like golf like me. And so we're talking about golf, and you can tell they're not interested in my story. And so you're, you're, you're about to lose them. They're inching out the door. And you say, and then I went down to get my ball out of the hole, and then I found $20 in the hole. They're like, what? $20 in the hole? How did that happen? You see, they were gone, and you hooked them back in right there, just like that. Maybe golf's not your thing. You're telling somebody about the noise you heard outside your house, because that's what we do, right? I woke up, I heard a noise, didn't know what, and people are like, don't care about that. Let me get out of here. And you're like, I'm losing, I'm losing them. And you say, and so then I went outside, and there was $20 on my garage, just right there on the floor. And they're like, what? $20 on the floor? Like, suddenly they care about your story again. I've been using this for years. It works. You're welcome. Suddenly your stories are going to be better. You were a poor storyteller. You're going to be great. But I recognize there are certain times when you need something more than $20. And so I'm going to give you permission today that you can upgrade this, but only for special circumstances, to the emergency levels of $50 or $100. Okay, we don't, we don't overuse this. We use this like in certain things. Like, like at a family reunion, that's an emergency situation. Okay, you need to go to $50 level for that. And I'll just tell you, if you're ever preaching up on the stage at Afton and the room doesn't laugh at you, you can use the $100 thing, okay? Because I know what it feels when, when people don't laugh at you. You feel small. So I give you permission, okay? Care for this. Use this phrase well. Pass it on to your children. Let them become better storytellers because none of us want to tell a story that doesn't work. And I know that you're going to be a better storyteller because I've shared this with you. So listen, I want you to be a compelling storyteller because if you've ever tried to tell a story that didn't work, you know how annoying it is. And when we are talking about not telling a story about golf or a noise outside, when we say tell the story here for our habit, it's about telling the story of God's work in our lives. And I don't know what your past is like with that. I could tell you for me, there was a time in high school when I tried to tell a story about God and an atheist left me speechless. I could tell you about a time in college when I studied for hours as I was trying to explain to someone. I laid out this great, I brought books from a library. That was like a thing you did. Books from a library. And I brought them and I tried to say, this is the gospel. And the person's like, huh, sounds okay. And like, that was it. Like, nothing, no movement on that. And I began to think, like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my stories? I was embarrassed. They didn't seem to be interested. If there was only like a $5 trick for my story of faith, because these failures make us scared to try again. We start to wonder, like, did I mess something up? Do I not know enough? You wonder if your story is even worth telling at all. Wouldn't it be great if we had... A $5 trick that became this life raft for us. Well, I think that's why I'm excited about this text this morning. Because as we dive in here, it reveals to us this $5 life raft type of a trick. This way and this method, which is really nothing fancy. It's just God's plan for how we tell the story. And it's great stuff as we look in God's Word 
Good, good stuff. So let's dive back in here in verse 1. We see that Jesus and his disciples have come. They've crossed over the sea uh, from an area that was a Jewish area into an area that was not a Jewish area. Or some place that instead of worshiping the God of the Old Testament, instead of worshiping God that we know from our Bibles, they worshiped a lot of other gods. And so that's where they've come to. And as they arrive, they're immediately greeted by a man who sounds, well, crazy. He, uh, look at this description. Somebody who's unable to be contained by chains and shackles so much so that he broke them, that he ripped them apart. The, the people are like, what do we do with this man? And they try to bind him and tie him up and kick him out to the outside of town where and it was like a cemetery-like area. They don't know what to do with him. They have no ability to care for him. And here he is. This, life, this, this man's life was heartbreaking. Like I read this story and I think he's being treated like an animal. They can't, like no one can control him, not even himself. It says that night and day... Among the tombs and the mountains, he's crying out and cutting himself with stones. Can you imagine that your body is so superhuman strong, but yet you hate it? It torments you to the degree that you just scream out to no one and that you begin to cut yourself. He's so overwhelmed by the circumstance, he says, nothing and no one is able to help me. He hated himself. He hated his body. He couldn't deal with the demons that had oppressed him. And so when Jesus comes, this man runs to Jesus, runs at him, which, by the way, is terrifying. But Jesus has something that no one else did. You see, he runs up, and this is what the man says. Uh, it, it says, please, please, what would you do with me? What would you do with me, Son of the Most High God? Don't torment me. For he was saying, Jesus was saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so, Jesus says, What's your name? The response is legion. Which is just a unit in the Roman army, a troop unit. It's the largest of all. It's 5,600 soldiers. This was just a reminder and a way to describe the chilling power of what this man was oppressed with. These, the intention of these demons was one of strength and to destroy. And so they begged Jesus, don't send us out of the country. Why? Well, because this was a country where they seemed to have free reign. They had the ability to work and to do what they wanted, which was to be opposite of the plan of God. And so this is an indication that they felt like they wanted to stay. And so it says... That Jesus looks and sees and there's uh, uh, a group of pigs and the demons say, could you send us in to this herd of pigs? And he says, I'll allow it. And he does. And then those pigs rush out and are drowned in the sea immediately. And we talked about how this is not Jewish area. This is Gentile area. And for Jews to see a herd of pigs that goes and drowns themselves in the sea, they'd have thought, that's pretty good because pigs are dirty. They're unclean. They didn't eat pigs. And this was before Jesus is going to make all food clean. That happens in chapter 7. And we know that if we read throughout the rest of our New Testament, that takes a while to take hold and to stick. So a Jew would have read that and been like, oh, okay, it's fine. But we're in Gentile area. And so these people that saw this, most likely 
were using this herd of pigs as a way of making a living. It could have been that they were feeding the Roman army. Uh, that, that, that's what their livelihood was. And so when they see this happen, they think, that's crazy. And they go tell everyone what's going on. But I don't want you to miss in, the, in, in this part of the story what I think is this beautiful gospel moment of this part of the story. You see, in the eyes of Jesus, there's something important that takes place here. The restoration and the rescue of one man was worth, was so much more important than the value of a herd of pigs. What we demonstrate here is what we know to be the truth of the gospel. Here's the reality. God knows every animal. The Bible says every sparrow that falls, God is aware of. This is not just a picture of God being wasteful. This is a picture of God saying the, rest, the restored life of one man is worth a vast amount of assets. You see, he paid that price with a herd of animals, and yet soon, as the story progresses, we know this. God is willing to pay an even higher price, the price of his son, to bring back restoration and rescue for the rest of us. You see, this is the gospel that you're worth a high price, and God's willing to pay it. Don't miss. This is good stuff. This is the gospel. This is the heart of God. And so as this, the people experience this, the gospel in action, they say, you won't believe what happened. They go and get everybody they know and come back out and they find the man that had been possessed by demons sitting with his right mind, clothed and learning at the feet of Jesus. And the people were terrified of the power of the one that had come. You see, all their tools didn't work. All their methods were not working at all. They tried to help and contain and fix what was going on in this man's life, and they didn't, but Jesus did, and they were terrified. They begged him to leave. They said, go away. We don't know what to do with that kind of power. And so as he's getting ready to leave, the man whose life was changed says, can I go with you? I want to keep learning. I want to be your follower. And while Jesus had granted the request of the demons and allowed that to happen, he granted the request of the townspeople to leave. For the man, he had a different mission. Don't miss this. If you're okay with underlining in your Bible, this is what I want you to see. Verse 19. Here's what Jesus says in response. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Write that out in capital letters. Don't miss that because if we zoomed out and we looked at Mark more in, in some perspective, we would see that this verse would leap off the page at us. The story that happens right before this is Jesus on that journey across the sea, calming a raging storm, and his disciples are terrified. They're terrified because Jesus has just done this. And so in Mark 4, verse 40, he says to them, he says, Hey, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus demonstrated his power over the sea and then he demonstrated his power over the demons so that people would have 
faith and believe. If you don't get that from that story, look at the one that comes after where Jesus heals a woman who has been hemorrhaging for years and the, and the daughter of a religious leader. Those happen in the same context right after our passage to, in Mark 5. And so in verse 34, Jesus says to the woman who's been healed, he says, your faith has made you well. And then in verse 36, he says this to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Jesus is demonstrating his power for the reason that people are, when they encounter the power, the, the, the outcome is faith and belief. So tell of this to believe, to have faith. So look at verse 19, because this is why it leaps out the page on us. Verse 19, go tell the story to everyone you know, to your friends, to your family. Tell, tell it. Let them know of the mercy that's been shown to you, that you've received. Explain to them that you have life now that you didn't. And so this man does. He goes and tells. And this healed demoniac becomes the very first ever sent out missionary preacher by Jesus. This was a Gentile sent to Gentiles. He's the first that we know of and he's sent out. What a wonderful template for everyone who follows. You see, this is why this passage is so good, because it's a template for us. This is discipleship. Look at this template. You have a life that was chaotic, that was oppressed by a power that no one and no thing could defeat. And then that life was changed and healed and made well and given a purpose, and then sitting and learning at the feet of Jesus, and then sent out to share, telling the story of God's work in his life. I hear that and I think, that's such a good story. Of course he told that story. Such a good story. I wish I had a story that was good like that. And then I stopped myself. Because I'm reminded of how easy it is for me to be numb and familiar with the story that I have in Christ. I think the reality for us is sometimes we're not telling a story because we've just been numb to what God's actually done in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. We get so used to showing up, singing a song, shaking some hands, and then going home. And then you find yourself in a rhythm where you're not telling the story of God's work in your life. And so the question today that I just want you to consider is if you're not telling the story of God's work in your life, if you're not telling of what God's doing in your life and the lives of others, why not? Why not? Is it because you have nothing to tell? Is it because there's nothing for you to tell? Do you lack a compelling story? Is it because you're afraid? Because maybe you did try and you got rejected and you are so worried that if you tell it again, people are going to think you're not that great. That people are, you're worried that people won't think you're very awesome. Listen, I know that's it for me. I've been guilty of telling a story that is too much about me. That's way too much about me. I talk about my story and my faith story and I make it way too personal because I'm too selfish. I know that's a part of who I am. Maybe I hope I'm not alone here, but sometimes I tell my story and I make myself the hero. And if you're like me, maybe you've been telling a story about your faith that's way too much about who you are. Here's what I mean. Some of you have been telling a story and you've been telling the story that's all about what you did. You attended church. You stopped gossiping. 
you started to change your attitude. You stopped listening to the bad music and started listening to good music. You started showing up in a small group. Listen, if that's the way you're telling your story, I'm going to stomp on your toes because I'm going to tell you that's not God's story, that's your story, and the hero of that story is you. You are the hero in that story. And when you tell God's story, you're not the hero, He is. And so we need to figure out why have we been telling a story that's about us and not about what God's doing? It's a compelling story if we'll tell it that way. You see, when you tell the story the other way, you're not telling God's story. In fact, you're not telling the gospel at all. You're telling a story about works-based religion. You're telling a story that your effort overcame your sin. You're telling a story of rescue that was something you did. And that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Listen to me. Listen, listen. I know that it's weird to talk about demons. I get that. We read a passage about demons. I know that's weird. But if you will just hang in there for a second and listen. When we talk about demons, this is why it's helpful. At least that's a story about a power that is bigger than we know what to do with. And we sometimes have told our story that is focused on humanism, that we overcame sin by what we did. We need to recognize that our story is far more like the demoniac story than, it is, than we might otherwise think. We were bound slaves to sin and a power that we could do nothing about. The book of Romans tells us that we were oppressed and this is not something we could do anything about. We were born into sin and we found ourselves helpless, battling a real enemy that we could not defeat ourselves. And we were not searching for God. We weren't looking for Him. We weren't out crying out to God. We were just screaming to the mountains. And Jesus pursued us like He did this man. And He came looking for us and finding us. And what He did was He set us free from that which oppressed us. This sin, the same book of Romans says, you're no longer a slave to that. Jesus set you free from that. This is your story that God has done something for you that you could do nothing about yourself. It wasn't hard work. It wasn't effort that you did. This was the work of God in your life. We weren't searching for Him. He found us and we've been redeemed. Listen, and then we find, we come and we sit at the feet of Jesus and we learn the goodness of that story and we learn about who He is and we're discipled and we have a story that's worth telling. That is your story. It's worth telling. That is your story and our community needs it. Like when you listen, there's 16,000 people in this school district alone, half of them by survey data, would say they don't know or have any meaningful connection to a church and to a community of believers. That's 8,000 people just in this school district. 20% of those people, in this, uh, of the people in this school district alone, would say, I don't go to church at all. In fact, they would answer this question. I don't, my faith has no impact on my day-to-day life. Of those 3,000 people, that 20%, 600 of them say the reason I don't go to church is because nobody invited me. Nobody invited them. 1,600 people don't attend church because they said there's not a great church in my area. Friends, that's why we're here. We're here because of those people. And they need your story because it's God's story. I could go on and on and on. And if you listen in session four and next steps, you'll hear us say, this is why we're a multi-site church. That's why we're here. That's why we're in Chucky Doak School District. Because there are thousands of people that need to hear the story of God 
who wants to rescue them and give them life and joy and hope in Christ. And you have it. And you have a story to tell. If only you had the $5 trick, the life raft, to rescue any story that you might tell that's falling flat. Well, if you missed it in the passage, let me show it to you again. Verse 20 of Mark chapter 5. We're telling how much Jesus has done. It's what Jesus had done. Have you been telling the wrong story? Have you been the hero of your story? What if we told a compelling gospel story and our speech poured forth truth and goodness about Christ? What if that was our story? That we were filling our minds with memories of God's goodness? That we saturated our community with life and joy in Jesus Christ, Afton would notice. They would notice. Our community would be better. Friends, you have a compelling story. Now would you just tell it? God, give us the courage that we lack. Give us the words that we feel like we don't have because we struggle to tell a story that is a gospel story. We confess that we're afraid. We confess that we are selfish. We confess that we are too distracted. But God, would you fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith and has rescued us from the sin that we could do nothing about. Oh God, give us that story. Infuse it with life. Infuse it with joy. And draw people to yourself. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.